Welcome to the Old Dog New Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff West, and I'm going to spend some time talking about tech and looking at how the old dog ways really are all that old. I'm going to look at some integration ideas, discuss some successes and failures, and show you that it's really not about being perfect, but it's about being patient when it comes to integrating technology. I'm a high school educator, been teaching music band for most of my career, but I am a a big tech enthusiast, and I really enjoy uh, researching and finding answers and ways to integrate tech that don't take up so much time. Let's get going. Live from my basement with the furnace working in the background because it's October. This is Jeff West, and this is episode 18 of Old Dog New Tech. In this episode, we're going to talk about the why and how of video assessments, according to me, the old dog. I'm, and I feel uh, don't feel old at all, I'm, but except when I go through weeks like I had last week where I was very busy, lots of 10-hour, 12-hour days, And by Friday, I was pretty well uh, done mentally and physically, but made it through the football game. And here I am on podcast 18 talking about video. Since the dawn of online video, should be some music in the background. I don't know, some French horns or something. I've been utilizing um, videos to assess individuals and groups, and I've been... I've used, rather, videos as a springboard for discussion or to engage students in the goals of rehearsal or performance. Instead of me standing up there talking, I made a video and just showed it. I wouldn't say that I used it all the time, especially earlier. It was a little harder to manipulate. But I've begun using it much more in the past few years, and this podcast is about why I chose this media and how I'm using it. So let's get going. As cited in some research uh, I found online by Megan Peterson, she did an uh, action research research project in 2016 uh, on page four of this. She, She cites Miller, Nips, and Goss's research from 2013. And she shows that assessments that incorporate multiple sensory modes such as audio and video and that can have a real world application are more more in line with how people learn than those that are in standardized tests or say just multiple choice or you're more traditional. Furthermore, she cites a June 2009 Nielsen report that concluded 12 million U.S. teens watched online videos in May 2009. In May 2009, that was the most popular uh, Uh, being YouTube in that study. I've been using uh, playlists and creating videos to demonstrate tech tools or playing examples on YouTube. Um, That's probably the first use of video in my classroom that I did. Uh, Definitely playlists of different ensembles or instruments. So, you know, just demonstrating content to try and, you know, tie... Uh, something so students retain the knowledge and then can use it. 
I noticed my students, though, being distracted by YouTube, kind of like Snapchat now. And um, I decided I wanted to use this distraction. So using Screencastify or Screencast-O-Matic to make videos, I, um, and I also use my phone to record a video of students playing to focus on posture and sound. But um, I always kept in mind that the placement of the device can affect the overall sound of the recording. So I was using Screencastify and Screencast-O-Matic for mostly for, would uh, record mostly my guitar for my guitar classes, or I would use it for, uh, if I was doing a demonstration on different types of articulation, uh, dynamics, uh, phrasing, style, interpretation, those, those types of things. And, um, I'm thinking back on my use of video. I note that primarily I used it for discussion purposes. It wasn't really an assessment uh, or maybe some self-evaluation, have students make a, a video or uh, I'd make the recording of the whole class playing to to point out our strengths and weaknesses. But again, sometimes the evaluation still didn't quite stick. You know, the, the discussion was good and some of it stuck, but I think it was... Um, my methodology or lack thereof. So I started using this year the Addy Design Thinking method of uh, analysis, design, develop, implement, and evaluate, and SMART goals um, in the uh, design develop phase to really single in on a goal. And I use it with my students to develop goals based upon, uh, say, a video or an audio recording. And then uh, when they develop their goals, I have just completed going through with Screencastify and talking to each of them individually on a video as I look at their assignment on the uh, LMS Schoology. And then I'm um, Screencastify creates a link, a shareable link from my drive, and I insert that link into the comments, and they'll be able to go back and view my um my comments and review it. Actually, they can listen to it multiple times. That's one of the big things for me with video is the ability to go back and review. So um, I'm, I'm really hopeful. And I think based upon research and things I've learned and my knowledge in the classroom, that the Google Slides project of making the goal words with visual presentation. So if they had, say, tone, they came up with some sort of sound wave image or something that meant something to them. So we started thinking on it on that base. And then we had a discussion about SMART goals and I gave them the assignment to develop a SMART goal. And then I assessed with the video uh, how they did and hoping that I'm going to be enhancing their learning on multiple levels, not just musically, but just how do they make a goal? We're always telling our kids, we got to have goals and got to have focuses. And um, I don't think we give them enough examples. So I'm hoping that this example is going to help them. So I want to end this segment with a 2018 blog post reference from Steve Wheeler. And I put a link in the show notes. So he states, However, assessment of learning is not as important as assessment for learning. And he's speaking about that while I am assessing their learning of their learning, I'm seeing if they're learning the SMART goal and Addy, by utilizing the 
video assessment, I'm assessing them and giving them future thoughts, how to improve, things they should do next. So I think that's a, another reason to use video uh, in assessment. Uh, he's talking about assessment for learning, which is a concept I first heard of from Dr. Lorna Earle. Uh, and she's done uh, quite a bit of work in assessment as or for learning instead of assessment of learning. So yes, we need to know as teachers where our students are and how they're doing, but we can get an idea of understanding and help perpetuate the learning process by using video assessments to highlight strengths and weaknesses and offer suggestions. So as you take a look at this, this can be time consuming, I'll tell you that. Uh, I just did about 70, 75 videos and and it took me two days. I did it by class, but this was important enough. I wanted to make sure I utilized a video for each individual student. In the future, I think I'm going to maybe make a, a video or two that covers multiple issues uh, and share it with all of them and maybe, you know, put it in a discussion post ask them to list things that apply to them, you know, just get them to think and uh, self-evaluate and synthesize the knowledge that I'm giving them with what they can do to improve. But I do know this, uh, video is very engaging for students, uh, for people. The images are engaging and, and help them remember and assign memories to them, but the video portion is a, lo a lot more interactive. And uh, I think I kept most of the videos five minutes or less. A couple of them went up to seven. If a student was uh, almost there or or maybe not quite there, you know, I spent a little extra time giving them some personalized instruction. And I think that's a really, really valuable tool um, that we can't overlook and stay away from just because it might take a little extra time. I think it just takes planning on our part to get used uh, to get used to using it and to implement it. So I mentioned earlier that I started using a video in class, um, in the classroom with YouTube. Uh, I created playlists of music and ensembles that students can listen to for performance examples or types of instruments for, or discussion of performance concepts, you know, et cetera, things like that. Um, utilizing the embed feature in the web, um, excuse me, in a site or on the uh, learning management system, I would put these playlists, embed them, as students take a look at them and maybe uh, develop a little narrative or uh, do some judging based upon a rubric or criteria that I in included, trying to get them to focus in on what these other groups were doing and how the rubric that we're judged on at festivals or how to pick and identify music that you like. Why do you like it? Uh, getting away from the broad words of cool or good or stupid or whatever they might choose uh, and getting into the actual facts that makes that music appealing to them. Is it the rhythm, the beat, the voice, the harmony? What is it that makes that work for you? So eventually I wanted to create my videos of class or performance practices that students could review. And I noticed that students do not always refer to their own um on their own time, rather. They don't refer to their own video or the lists that I give them, or they don't go back on their own. So I try to incorporate them, say, as a start of class or in an assignment. Um, 
and I take the time and play it, if I want to make sure they see it, then I need to, to model. You need to watch this, and here's what you need to do with it. And this worked well for a while, but as students get used to certain techniques, um, they become less responsive. Um, you know, if you play, I remember when Kahoot was first out and it was the hot item in that game. We were played it quite a bit, and students grew weary of it, so they appreciated a little different approach. So I began using Google Classroom at this time. This was, uh, gosh, probably six years ago or seven years ago to assign student performance video projects. This enabled me then to incorporate videos that I found on YouTube or the videos I made and I added to my YouTube channel. So we might be playing a scale and I might play the scale on a, a video and put it on my YouTube channel, uh, Screencastify will, and will allow you to share it right there and you can even change it so it's unlisted until you decide to share it. And um, I would put that as part of the uh, precursor to the assignment and say, here's what it should sound like. And I would play. And, of course, there's that whole relationship factor where the kids get to hear me play instead of just talk about playing. Um, sometimes they forget um, that we have a particular high level of skill in whatever our content area is. And demonstrating that, you know, I know content uh, core subject teachers get to... Uh, demonstrate this pretty regularly, but sometimes in the arts, you don't because you're spending most of your time helping your students get better, giving them advice. And um, I think it's sometimes inspirational to them to see you play or uh, perform your art. So I would highlight the expectations using a video and I would assign a performance video project. And lastly, I would create a video of my assessment, including verbal comments, and I would type them in. So I'm recording the screen and I figure out a way to add a comment somehow. Uh, most LMSs have a way that you can add a comment right within the document. Um, sometimes you have to do it in the where you're grading, you put a comment, but nonetheless, your, your screen is on and you type it as you're saying it and maybe you're telling the story that goes along with it. I, I've, I find this, uh, I found this to be very engaging for students and it hasn't really died out because the change of the video content um, keeps it fresh. Furthermore, as I'm creating assessment videos, I also can note learning gaps that need closing or narrowing, and I can create learning opportunities utilizing the same process that I described above. So I, I see that I've got 25 kids turning in a particular playing uh, excerpt, or 50 kids, however many, and all of them seem to have trouble in the upper range, or all of them seem to have trouble with one particular rhythm. So I can focus in on how to do that rhythm and create a video or do it live in the room. So that's kind of how I, I'm using video and what I do. I use Screencastify almost exclusively now. I've just gotten used to it, so that's what I use. Doesn't mean it's better, just means it's what I use. I have also used Loom and Screencast-O-Matic and awesome screenshot. I put links in the show notes if you want to check those out. There are many other applications out there. I'm sure Camtasia uh, is one that comes to my mind that I want to experiment with as I get a little more involved in video creating, particularly for screencasts, for uh, uh, presenting, um, say, at a conference or at a PD to have a, um, 
higher quality edited uh, video. But, you know, find if you have something you use and it works real well for you, by all means, uh, you know, drop me a note. Let me know. Uh, lastly, it just came to my mind. Wasn't even in the script. Headliner. Very uh, useful video creating, particularly for putting it in social media. So drop me an email. Give me a rating on iTunes. Let me know what you're doing. Let me know what you think of the podcast. Uh, I think I got a couple of ratings, so I'm waiting for a couple more, and that'll put me up there and make this podcast more uh, uh, accessible. So if you like what you're hearing, um, let people know. And let me know. I really appreciate it. In closing, I'd just like to say that more learning management systems are working on making video easier to use, and the applications uh, developers, application developers, are listening to the comments and concerns of their users. So I hope you'll pick one or two projects and try providing a video screencast of you grading their project. You can personalize the assessment process and engage students in a research-based method that will enhance their learning. Give it a go. And your tech treat for this episode for being such a great listener is Gmail and Google Drawings. All right, easy. It's a lot more exciting than you think. You, know, you probably have heard of both of those tools, but if you're emailing parents and students, you can use a drawing to create a, a document that has images. It's more image-based with a few words of text uh, explaining what's going on, maybe a date, maybe uh, maybe what you're doing. And it can be much more engaging than a bunch of text, even with different colors and styles. Then you can upload the, uh, excuse me, download the drawing into a P PNG form, upload it into a, a Gmail body of the Gmail using the image insert, and it will put exactly the image in there. And use the link feature within Gmail to link it to another web page. Maybe on your uh, drawing, you put more information below, and then you put a link down in your email. Um, I'm finding this to be more engaging. I'm finding more parents uh, are aware of what's going on, and students are remembering, and uh, they're enjoying the pictures that I choose because I try to choose ones where sometimes I'm in them, um, and uh, or the kids are in them. They're pictures of the band doing something. You know, maybe take a picture of your classroom. Maybe making sure, of course, that your students are all good with being sent out on an email. Some districts have a release form that they have to sign. And you probably already know this if you're the teacher. But just wanted to call it to your attention. So you can create a Google Drawing, download it as a PNG, upload it into the body of the email, and add links. And you can engage your audience, give them something to interact with using Google Drawings, and Gmail. There's your tech treat. I hope you enjoyed it. This has been the Old Dog New Tech Podcast with your host, Jeff West. I hope you enjoyed your time. And remember, with EdTech integration, it's about being patient and not perfect. <laughs>